1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 209 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. Hello. How are you?
2: I'm sleepy. I'm a little snoozy today.
1: It's a little we're struggling.
2: Yep. And I had a long, weird, stressful weekend, and then it decided to snow again on March 13th. It won't go away. Um, but that's okay. This is my last day before I start galvanting around the country.
1: Yeah, you are going to be gallivanting. I
2: am. I'm going to Arizona to do some hiking, and then I'm going to go to Philadelphia for PLA, where I will not be hiking. No. No hiking in Philadelphia. No
1: hiking in Philadelphia.
2: But if you're a librarian listening to this, and you're going to the Public Library Association conferences in Philadelphia, stop by the Overdrive booth. Um, I, I think it's booth 829, but if you've ever been to a conference like this, just look up. You'll see our big rotating sign. Yep. Um, come say hi I know that at least one local librarian I think is going to come say hi from our friends at Cleveland Public Library I think Oh yes um, we talked to someone who's going as well so if you're going come say hi I can introduce you to our CEO He'll be very excited about a myriad of things I'm sure <laughs> as he's want to do <laughs> at conferences so and if you're coming definitely stop by because we threw a really big party at pla and I can probably get you on our list for that too but anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. I'm gonna let Joe collect your thoughts. Joe, what did we do for the the majority of this episode?
1: So this episode um, is the latest Sarah Jessica Parker ALA Book Club Central pick.
2: Nice, you author, nailed that.
1: With author Jonathan Miles, whose book um, "Anatomy of a Miracle" was the just announced um, on Tuesday as the latest. Pick for that, so we're we got to um, we knew in advance because we're fancy like that.
2: <laughs> oh, we fancy.
1: So we got to interview Jonathan all about his book, and uh, it was a really good conversation.
2: jill knew before our director.
1: <laughs> I did because our fr- did. our
2: friends at the publishers it, it's Pirate, it's Perry, it's Penguin Random House. They told jill way before they told our our director, which is fun. Yep, but yeah, this was a fun conversation um jonathan's originally from cleveland Mm -hmm. so we got to chat some cleveland things we
1: did we did
2: um his life is crazy he's been all over the world it's covering a myriad of things it's the second time i've said myriad in this podcast i don't think i've ever said it before while recording weird um yeah he was very fascinating And his book sounds awesome.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because it's sort of written as a nonfiction book, but it's entirely fiction. But he just sort of, he comes from a journalist background and decided to kind of structure his book like that. So, yeah.
2: And it has an incredible subtitle that he (laughs) says, I'm not going to try, I will butcher it. Uh, He says it right at the beginning, and we talk about the fact that, like, (laughs) we talk about Cover design and how funny I thought it would have been if
1: you yeah. just put the whole
2: thing on the front, but they didn't do that. No, which is why I'm not an art director, I guess, for a publishing house.
1: That's exactly what it is. um That's
2: But is. yeah, if you're a <laughs> if you're a librarian listening in, uh, we in OverDrive Marketplace where you do all your purchasing, not only is there a big banner ad for this right up front, which you'll see, uh, but we also made a readalikes list. So if you want to make like a curated list of titles around the latest uh, Book Club Central pick and some other ones. Uh, we made a whole collection for you in there. Um, and if you're a listener, sorry, if you're a public library user listening, uh, go to your library. If you don't see this book, definitely recommend it because then they will go to Marketplace and they will see our ad and they will be able to purchase it very easily. So, uh, If people want to get a hold of us, they can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. Uh, be sure to follow that because I, I promise to tweet out and instagram out any fun things that happens at pla if i see any fun book stuff in the desert i'll tweet i'll post that too but i doubt doubt i'll see any of those Seems times. unlikely seems unlikely um but yeah be sure to follow us there and then you can also email us at professional book at overdrive.com if you want any book recommendations feel free to do that if we can't find you a book recommendation one of our library and friends at the office will be able to so if you mail any time in the next couple of weeks, it'll be Joe responding to you. So say hi to her.
1: Yeah, I'll be here holding down the fort.
2: Yes, you will. Uh, anything that you think we missed on that one?
1: I think that's everything.
2: Fantastic. Okay, well, I hope you guys enjoy this Book Club Central Special Edition episode with Jonathan Miles on the Professional Book Nerds podcast.
1: this is adam and joe from the professional book nerds podcast and with us today is jonathan miles he's the author of the novels dear american airlines and want want not and is also a former columnist for the new york times his work has frequently been anthologized in best american sports writing and best american crime writing his newest book anatomy of a miracle is the latest ala book club central sarah jessica parker pick jonathan thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: So given that uh, your book was selected by SJP for the latest Book Club Central Book Club, would you mind giving us a brief introduction to Anatomy of a Miracle?
0: Sure. Uh, Anatomy of a Miracle is actually a a long and winding uh, 18th century style subtitle to it uh, (laughs) that might help a little. Which is the true story of a paralyzed veteran, a Mississippi convenience store, a Vatican investigation, and the spectacular perils of grace. <laughs> the story it tells is about a young man named Norman Harris in Biloxi, Mississippi. um who was paralyzed below the waist um, from a landmine in, uh, when he was serving in Afghanistan. And one day outside a little convenience store in his hometown... Uh, He rises from his wheelchair and is able to walk and uh, spontaneously recovers. Um, So the novel basically follows the aftermath of this miracle as Cam tries to understand it, as his physician tries to understand it, and uh, as the world uh,
2: also tries to make sense of it. I just want to point out, if people look at the jacket cover, it does not have the subtitle, but maybe in like the large print version of the book, you can get like the entire subtitle on there.
0: It's actually in the, uh, it, it's hidden underneath the dust jacket.
2: Oh, oh.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, that's what, uh, they, they, they kind of bumped And I said, no, no, I want the entire, I want the entire giant <laughs> subtitle on the cover. Uh, designers of course hate that.
1: So, <laughs> so that I, compromise. Um, one thing about the subtitles, you do say it's a true story, but then there's an asterisk that says it's <laughs> a novel. Um, so I kind of wanted to ask about the structure and style of the book, because, you know, you present it as nonfiction, and there's a section of notes of methodology, and it reads like long-form journalism. Um, what made you want to approach the book in that way?
0: Well, from the very beginnings, novels have always themselves as truth, right? We've come to define this as higher truth, or fictional truth, or allegorical truth, but the idea is the same, that the reader comprehends the novel as a truthful account of untrue events. Uh, Something, simply being a little more explicit in this, um, I suppose, not not to blur the lines for my own reason so much as to reflect the blurred lines in our culture and society right now. There are significant numbers as fiction, Our President is one of them, mm-hmm. and a significant number of people uh, regarding fiction as non-fiction. So the lines are already blurred. Uh, a story like this one, you know, so rife with political implications, would seem to fall into that blurred zone, which is which is why I chose to present it this way. I, I want the reader. Same way that my characters are asking the same question. And Mala Milan wrote a, a novel that teaches readers to comprehend the world as a question. And I think the question here isn't so much what is true, then about the processes we use to decide what's true and what isn't, the way we all process and interpret um, information. Uh so, um, so this was the thinking behind that approach. And I should also note, though, that um, this is not exactly new. Um, if anything, it's an homage to the 18th century English novels of uh, versatility, uh, of which Daniel Defoe's Robinson Crusoe is probably the most notable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Defoe presented Crusoe as nonfiction in much the same way um, to scandalous effect. So. Um, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a play on that um, um, the earliest iterations of the novels, which I just felt in our current uh, cultural climate, um, it felt right to, to revisit that. So
2: just to follow up on that a little bit. You know, Joe mentioned your journalistic background, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a bit here. But um, is this how you approach writing all of your novels? I guess do you feel when you're writing these stories, because even you know your journalistic endeavors are, are very much long form journalism usually, do you feel different writing your novels versus when you're writing those long forms? You know whether they're you know true or you know quote unquote true like this like this novel is. Do you feel there's a, a different process for you as a writer?
0: Yeah, they're they're very different processes. I've sometimes joked that uh, when I'm writing journalism. I wish I was writing fiction because, of course, then I can just make it up. You know, when I need that that perfectly uh, white hot detail, I can just grab it out of thin air. Um, and when I'm writing fiction, uh, I sometimes long to be writing journalism because the story is already there. You know, the facts are what they are, and you just have to, you know, it's there. So, um, but they are different. They are different processes. This this one was rather fun in the sense that uh, you know I was deploying that journalist voice and yet when it came time for instance for a quote or some sort of history I had this this sort of wicked liberty to just you know make up my own expert um, so um, that was that was sort of wicked pleasure. <laughs>
1: That actually sounds like a really fun
0: way to write a novel. Yeah, I, lo- I love that idea
2: of putting, like you said, having it be a, you know, telling it as if it is, as if it is a true story and then saying, like, you know, Dr. Thompson had to say <laughs> and then just, like, pulling out a fake scientific quote. That's very, very smart.
0: Yeah, that was a, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. It actually happened to me early on where I was looking for a, um, an appropriate, you know, actual quote. Um, about something I was writing in the novel, I think about some of the Catholic church processes. And, uh, I realized, wait a second, it doesn't have to be. <laughs> have to be. This is all made up. Actually, I, I want to do one
2: more follow up on that. I want to ask, did you, so was there anything that you pulled that was realistic? And then like, have you had readers ask you about this? Cause we actually, we got to talk to George Saunders mm-hmm. about Lincoln and the Bardot last year. And he has all these quotes in that book. Some of them are real, and some of them he's just like, nah, I just made those up. And so, like, did you pull any realistic or not realistic, any actual quotes from people in the book? Oh
0: yeah, there's yeah, there's plenty. Um, it, it's a complete mixture of the two. Some of the quotes are are legitimate, um, and some of them are invented. Uh, you know, some of the events that are chronicled in in the book are uh, the peripheral events, I should say, uh, are based on actual events. Uh, some of the processes um described in the book, the procedure for um, for validating miracles that the Vatican employs. Um that's that is the actual procedure. Um, so it is a mismatch uh, mismatch and yeah it has uh already led to some readerly confusion. There is a character uh in the novel named Winston Lorimar who is um, Cameron's physician's father and uh he is uh, the author of a cult classic uh southern novel from the 70s and last fall i was having dinner with some booksellers and a young bookseller in san francisco confided to me that he was having the damnedest time trying to track down this novel (laughs) because he wanted to stock it in the store and I, i sort of blanched i felt
2: I'm laughing at his pain, uh, I know
1: I think we all kind yeah. of have those books I like can mention that we wish were real mm-hmm. that we could read absolutely um that actually leads is a good lead in into my next question, which is um if, if you I mean you just confirmed it, but that you had sort of looked at um real miracles, I'm guessing um and kind of played from those like what was your research process like for? looking into how the vatican handles miracles and all that
0: yeah i did some fairly extensive research on it um and it is pretty fascinating the 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 process um really hasn't changed much uh, over the centuries um early on um what the uh i'm trying to remember the the name of the pope who put this into effect but they they established what was called the devil's advocate which was a uh, sort of advocate against the miraculous. This is sort of the in-house skeptic who would uh, poke holes um, in any kind of accounts uh, in order to sort of keep a lid on um, what might be, you know, specious miracles. Um, so, you know, it became a really fascinating area uh, to kind of plunge into um, this idea of of having your position be to, you know, renounce miracles. Um, but the
2: the process uh, continues on um, to this day. I'm trying to imagine how. Like what that those people's personalities must be like, uh-huh. who their job is to basically tell you that the miraculous is not miraculous. Like I imagine it being like um, like a human embodiment of all of the characters like Michael Shannon plays yeah. in movies where he's just like very like yeah, no ma'am, that's not that's not what's happening. I just I don't know, that to, to me that feels like such a almost a sad existence. Like my job is to tell you that what you think is unbelievable is not.
0: Yeah, he's the prosecutor against the miraculous. Um, mm-hmm. But I think you know, in a sense, that position was was seen as a kind of bulwark, um, you know, against you know, because if a miracle can be uh, can be proven to be something else, it sort of corrodes, you know, faith. So um, I think I think that position was really seen as as a defender, mm-hmm. um, as defender of the
2: faith. Yeah, and then. Digging into that is a little bit deeper, at the center of your character Cameron's miracle is, you know, there's this eternal debate of science versus religion. And it, that's one of the debates that can be very hard to stay even keeling down the middle. You know, most people very strongly believe one side or the other on those types of things. So when needing to write an entire novel with that debate kind of at its core, how did you approach trying to carefully balance and provide both sides?
0: For one thing, I think I started out from a, a position of sort of fundamentalist agnosticism, right? Um, in that I knew that I wasn't going to take a, a position. I knew there wasn't going to be re- a reveal one way uh, or another. Um, I should say that I, I tend to think that agnosticism is sort of the default condition of novelists. I mean, We tend to be agnostic about everything, fate. Morality, uh, the definition that contours of character, um, which might be part of the impetus to write and to fumble blindly for some kind of certainty. Um, but as for um, you know, as for as for navigating um, that divide, uh, it's an old divide and yet still very vital. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that. Uh, um, so the two sides of that are the Vatican investigator, uh, Euclides, who, um, you know, comes to, comes to determine whether or not this was an actual miracle and Cameron's physician, um, Dr. Janice Lomar-Cuevas, Cuevas, um, who is coming at it from, uh, a very different angle. You know, I, I think of that line from A Wrinkle in Time, the mother says to her daughter, just because we don't understand doesn't mean the explanation doesn't exist. Um, so that's, that's her position. So, those two, when I think about it, are really the proxies in that in that in that debate.
1: So we touched a little bit um, earlier about your journalistic background, and we have two questions about that. One, is it true that you didn't study journalism in college? And two, if that's true, how did you get your start?
0: No, I did not study journalism uh, in college. In fact, I uh, I did have. Um, sort of fumbling ambitions um, toward being a writer. Um, fiction was always the always the first love. And uh, after college, which I, I somehow forgot to graduate, I was working various jobs. And at the time I became a journalist, I was working uh, as a bartender in a Mexican restaurant called Nacho Mamas in Oxford, Mississippi. Oh my God. <laughs> That's
1: the best name.
0: And, and there was a one a ad in the paper for a, a reporter and... I believe it paid $6 an hour, which was more than I was making, you know, with, on the margarita machine. So, um, so I I took the job, but very instantly, um, fell in love with it. It was just a small town daily newspaper, uh, in Mississippi. But what, what really floored me was the access that this provided me to, to human lives. Right um, I've never gotten over the the astonishment that, as a journalist, I can ask people the, the most personal, you know in some sense rude questions um, and and they feel obligated to answer. <laughs> <laughs> And so there I was as a, I want to say 24 year old, um, you know, covering, uh, covering murders, covering fires, covering, covering everything, uh, you know, covering stories in which people were an extremist and, and learning just so much about human character. Um, you know, I, I I don't write autobiographically and I feel that, um, part of that is, is because I've gathered so much material, um, as a journalist from other lives, and I am constantly ransacking it, um, for my fiction.
2: So, for your journalistic life, I have to say, like, I was reading through your bio and all the places you've been, and it, like, it, it reads almost like very like Hunter S. Thompson, maybe not so much fear and loathing, but like more rum diary. Um, but you have been, all over the place. So what is your favorite long form story you've ever told? Because there are a few I was reading on your, you know, I was reading them on your website. There are some incredible stories you've gotten to experience and share.
0: Yeah, I had, I had, uh, great fun. Um, as my magazine journalist, and occasionally, um, I still do. It was the only way I was ever going to see the world. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't have any money. I, I barely, I think, ever been on an airplane before i took um assignments for journalism and you know it provided me the ability to see every continent besides Antarctica and, um and go to some uh, you know <laughs> some really strange uh situations uh probably my favorite was um i shouldn't say it was my favorite experience but uh it's my favorite story it was uh, competing in the Dakar rally yeah um in 2005 which uh you know, I got I got a call and said, Hey, would you do you want to be a race car driver? Um and he always answered, yes to questions like that. And uh, a few weeks later found myself in Spain, um, in a race car, uh with lots of other competitors headed for uh, Dakar, Senegal and driving uh, you know, Hellbent, you know, through the Sahara. Um you know that's one of the things that journalism has, has provided, just these experiences that, uh, I would never, you know, in any form have been able to, to do, uh, without, you know, uh, I remember a few years ago, I do a couple stories in Louisiana and, and I was in the governor's office with the governor and he's showing me the, uh, sort of wiretap system that, that, Huey Long installed in the governor system. And then a few hours later, I'm in New Orleans in the studio with Dr. John and the, Blind Boys of Alabama, and I'm thinking, <laughs> this is amazing. How do I get to do this? Oh, so, yeah, it's always, it's always a thrill to, to have that kind of um, you know proximity, um, uh, that, that, that all-access path uh, to so many facets of life.
1: Yeah. When it comes to your long-form stories, do you get, a, I mean, the race car when you were assigned, but do you get assigned all of them, or do you find some of them yourself?
0: Um, early on, and we're talking twenty years ago, I would find them myself. But after a while, it became um, simply a matter of, you know, responding to whatever sounded most interesting. Um, so that's uh, which is which is sort of the you know the other sort of uh, lovely uh, facet of that is is it can often, sometimes feel just so random. Mm-hmm.
2: You know. Um And so when you're doing these assignments do any of them ever kind of fold into book ideas i mean obviously you mentioned you don't really write autobiographically but do any of these you know journalistic endeavors end up being like oh you know that's kind of a spark of an idea for for the novel i'm planning to write or does it or do you tend to compartmentalize like i'm on assignment for this journalistic piece and then my book ideas are going to come from someplace else entirely
0: no, the novelist in me is always, uh, you know, sort of uh, going to make this a verb, parasiting <laughs> on the journalist. Uh, uh, you know, the novelist is always back there saying, you know, I- I'm-, I'm taking this too. Uh, you know, in my last novel, whatnot, there's a scene where um, the character Micah is traveling around India, and um, she's watching uh on this train that, that people are throwing the trash out the window and, and somebody explains to her that in the old days um these to be banana leaves that the food at the train station was served on banana leaves and that everybody would throw the banana leaves off the train and then the cattle would come up and eat the banana leaves um but then they switched to plastic uh, but people continued to throw the wrappers off the train except now of course the train tracks are littered in plastic and it was an environmental activist in ecuador who told me the story as his kind of awakening um you know that 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 we just didn't understand what we were doing environmentally very often you know that there were there were old traditions that had been kind of corrupted um and i absolutely stole that scene i stole that scene and i and i fictionalized it and, and put it in a novel and you know i could probably do a forensic analysis (laughs) And and very very much of it would have come, you know, on assignment for one thing or another.
1: As we mentioned in the intro, um, Anatomy and Miracle has been chosen as the latest ALA Book Club Central pick. For you as the author, what does that mean to you?
0: That's thrilling. Um, One of the things that that is thrilling about it is I do feel that this novel um, is very book club friendly, let's say mm-hmm. um, in the sense that I think that people are going to respond to it um, in very different ways based on on, on, on faith, on politics um, just there's a lot of different angles to approach uh, this book from so I do think, you know, I mean I guess I'm biased but I do feel that it's fairly juicy for discussion <laughs> uh, so, um, so yeah, so I'm, you know I'm thrilled that this might be uh, you know provoke uh, some book clubs to take this up and, and I think there could be some I think there could be some rich discussions and one of the things that I've thought about with, with book clubs is you know what uh, what the discussion would look like and I would sort urge book club members maybe to sit back and think how they would have responded had they heard of Cameron's recovery in real life right if they've seen a news report of that would they have um would they have interpreted that as a miracle would they interpret that as a scientific mystery would they have interpreted it as a hoax as some people in the novel you know what would their gut reaction be and what did that say about them um and us i was
2: chuckling because you, you know you said you're, you're a little biased Obviously, mean, it's, it's it's your work i was just imagining i would love to hear any author be like Well, actually, my book, it's more of a solitary experience. Uh, I don't, (laughs) I don't want anyone talking about it. I I was laughing. I was imagining someone being like, no, 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 don't talk about my book. It's probably anti. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. The the, the, idea that I just write this for me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm my, I'm my only reader. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Um, so we end our podcast with a a bunch of questions that we're going to get to a little, in a little bit here that we ask every author. But before we do, we're calling you from Cleveland and we know that you are originally from here and, and spent some time in Cleveland. Okay. So, do you have any Cleveland stories or any fond memories of our lovely city?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was, I was born in Cleveland, um, lived there until I was 11 years old. Um, attended St. Margaret Mary school in South Euclid. Um, was a, was a diehard Browns fan. <laughs> um, then left, went, uh, moved to the Southwest, actually came back, I left home, um, and my sister was still in Cleveland, so I actually uh, came back from my senior year of high school and graduated from Lakewood High School, on the west side. And um, actually one of my, uh, one of the people who really um, guided me into writing um, was a Clevelander. Um In fact, this book is dedicated to him, uh, John H. Tideman. was a long time. Cleveland journalist, and I worked as his uh, assistant for a while when I, was, uh, when I was a senior in high school. And I used to watch him um, curse madly at the typewriter. <laughs> I thought, God, God, that looks like fun—just <laughs> chain smoking and cursing at a typewriter. That's what I wanted to do.
2: Oh man, that's so funny! Um, I don't and you're actually just for people who are going to be listening. To this we have a lot of listeners in Cleveland. You're going to be back in this area for your book tour, correct?
0: That's right. I think, um, April 12th, uh, for a, uh, a reading or discussion, um, with the Cuyahoga County library system. So, uh, that'll be fun.
1: Yeah. All right. So as, um, Adam said, we have, what we have, what we call, there it we is. can't talk today, You'll what we there. call the nerd nine, which are nine, um, questions. Don't put too much thought into them. They're, they're very low stakes. Um, what was the last book you finished reading?
0: Last book I finished reading uh was King Cole, um by Upton Sinclair.
1: Your favorite book of all time.
0: Favorite book of all time. Um Absalom Absalom by Faulkner.
1: Favorite place to read? In bed. <laughs> that's that's the answer for a lot
0: of people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: What is one place you'd like, yeah, what is one place you'd like to travel to that you haven't been to yet?
0: Uh, India.
1: Favorite holiday? Christmas. Cats or dogs? Both. I'm agnostic on that one, too. (laughs) Um,
0: I I love, I, I love my dogs, but, uh. I think I respect my cat a little more.
1: <laughs> that's a good answer. I'm a cat person. Adam's a dog person. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Are you a coffee or tea drinker? Coffee. Favorite food?
0: Um, lasagna.
1: And if you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be?
0: Dinner with one person, uh, dead or alive. It has to be one person.
2: I mean, if, I guess you could fudge it and, and give us a few if you want. No, people usually can't think of one, yeah. than multiple, but if you've got some, go for it.
0: You know, I think if I could... There's um, sometimes thought, you know, the New York Times, when they do that uh, uh, column when they ask people, you know, if we do a literary dinner party, mm-hmm. and bring anyone back, who would it be? And I've always, I've always read those and, and, and thought, oh, no, I you know there's always a danger in meeting your literary heroes. Um, because, you know, you you could bring, um, gosh, you could bring Shakespeare, uh, you know, back to life and find out he was just a, a complete ass, <laughs> um, in person. So I, I think, I think I would, uh, for that, I'd bring back, uh, friends that I've lost, uh, novelist, uh, Larry Brown, in Mississippi, Barry Hannah and Jim Harrison, and would have a big dinner, um, with them, Jim would do the cooking, of course. Um, we'd have to open all the windows because everyone would be chain-smoking. Um, but, yeah, I think that would be that would be the dream dinner, well, to, have, uh, to have
2: those guys back. I'm of the belief that if you had Shakespeare over for dinner, that would be a dinner party, because I'm one of those people who thinks it was multiple people anyway. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Last question for you before I let you go. What do you hope readers take away from Anatomy of a Miracle?
0: Well, I hope the book. Just two things. I hope. I. I I hope it. It provokes. Um, I. I, You know, I hope it makes them uneasy in certain sense. You know, I think that that's what that's what fiction should do. Um, and I go back to that uh, that line of Kundera's um, that I said earlier. You know, that 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 it might leave them with more questions. I think that's what novels do. They don't. novels are terrible vehicles for providing answers to anything um <laughs> i think what they do best is to ask questions and and make questions deeper so um you know um so that's, that's what i hope they would take away uh, sort of uh, deeper questions about our existence
1: that's wonderful yeah. thank you so much for coming on the podcast with us
0: thank thank you so much it's been a privilege
1: Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. So, you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out